0: I'd like to tell you a story of something that happened uh, to me about 20 years ago, uh, more than 20 years ago, sadly, because uh, I'm getting that old. Um, but it happened while I was at university. Uh, my first degree, I went to UBC, which is in Vancouver. And when I was about 20 or so, uh, what I found was is that uh, it was sometimes a very stressful kind of uh, a degree to take on. And so I thought, you know what's nice is sometimes a liquid beverage uh, from time to time to impart. And so you'd go to the, the pub in the student union building, And, of course, it would be loud. They'd be playing music really loud, and people would be talking really loud. And so you couldn't really do much there and do any reading. And eventually I found that there was. Not that I did an awful lot of reading after a couple of those. But anyway, what I found, though, is that sometimes I wanted to have a little bit of peace so I can just sort of sit and do some reading. And So I stumbled across the uh, graduate students' residence, and they actually had a little pub there Uh, and grad students were older and more focused on their studies, I guess, than undergrads like me, and so we would go in there, and it'd be nice and quiet. have maybe some quiet music in the background, people have quiet conversations. A lot of people would be more focused, and the drinks were cheap, so I often ended up there. One of the guys who was a regular bartender there was a graduate student. He was studying engineering. He was getting actually a doctoral degree in engineering, uh, and really smart guy, really charismatic, good person to talk to, and so We'd often get in conversations. Uh, And so he uh, was studying, and uh, he also came from Nigeria. So we had cross-cultural discussions, and interesting to know a little bit about what life was like there. And Every once in a while, me and my friends would sometimes end up there. But what I remember most of all about that is I I don't even remember the guy's name. But I remember one of my friends that I'd went to high school with and eventually went to university with me. Uh, This was a guy who was, uh, like me, very white, Uh, But a guy who is studying the liberal arts, a person who prided himself on being very progressive uh, and tolerant. And he told me, though, one day, he said, you know, uh, I was at the the grad students pub last night. I had this weirdest conversation with George. I said, well, what was that about? And he said, well, we were just talking a little bit, asking questions about his culture. And he told me a story about how there was a woman in his village who was a witch. And this witch cast a spell on somebody, and that person got a deathly illness, and he required that there was a spiritual healer that came and cast it out of the person. And so he is complaining about all of this, and I thought how interesting it was, a person who was very open-minded and tolerant about so many aspects about other culture. And yet soon, something was told him that kind of went outside of the worldview that he had as a Westerner, in which all that really exists here is within the physical material realm, Simply too much for him, and he pushed it to the side, and all he could think was, this is cuckoo, and the guy's a little nut. Now, I mention that not to criticize him, not to really bring forward the story other than, you know, with any great importance, other than to say, in many ways, we who grow up in the West have a way of thinking about the world and looking at the world that's quite at odds with the way the rest of the world and most of our ancestors in the faith have thought comes up for me because today we confront in St. Michael and All Angels a feast that puts very much to the forefront the supernatural aspect of our faith because it puts in the forefront of our faith supernatural beings which we call angels. And for most of the time when we uh, speak about our faith, and I do this the same thing, these kinds of things rarely come up. I mean, I've never met an angel. I've never had really, you know, miraculous experiences that maybe some of you have had in the sense that, you know, I've not been part of a, a miracle healing or or, or other things that some people have told me they've experienced. Most of what my Christian life is about is that, yes, I have a sense kind of closeness with God, and yes, I'm called to you know ethical action and faithful action on God's behalf. But the kinds of things that oftentimes we find in other cultures, and particularly what we find here in the scriptures today, is something outside of my regular experience. But I believe it's important for us to bring it up into the forefront of our minds from time to time, because... I believe it's very, very difficult for us as modern-day Christians to really appreciate the depth of who God is and his power until we're confronted with the reality of supernatural existence and the things that, we, uh, that are real, but which we can't see and touch in this life. So I'm going to want to talk to you today about really two major points. about First of all, why it is that we might want to let ourselves be challenged to believe in supernatural things. And secondly, how it is that we don't need to be afraid we come to embrace the reality, that there are things outside of our powers, outside of our controls, and outside even of our ability to sense and to know them. Now, first of all, when we look at the scriptures, why is it something that, that challenges us to accept the reality of supernatural, and particularly of supernatural beings called angels? Well, you know, we, we speak about it, of course, in, in, in church, and we preach about the Bible, and I often do. But if you sit down and start reading the Bible, one of the things that's really hard to miss is that angels show up all the time. Think about the first chapters of Genesis, right? If you started and thought, you know, uh, some of us have the New Year's resolution, we're going to, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read the Bible. And oh yeah, these are interesting stories in Genesis and Exodus, and then bam, Leviticus. And that, you know, this is too hard and you got to cut the the throat of this animal in this way and that. But even if you stop right there, what you'll find is you'll get stories again and again where angels appear. The first chapters of Genesis, what happens after Adam and Eve leave the garden. God posts a holy angel with a holy sword of fire, preventing them from returning. What do you find a little bit later in, in, in the Bible? You find it in Abraham. Abraham is, is sitting down to uh, have supper one day, and he finds angels come and visit him, and he has them for supper. Uh, he doesn't eat the angels. He has them over for supper. Then we find a little bit later what happens when uh, um, Jacob here, in the story we heard from Genesis 28, Jacob gets into a giant fight with his brother Esau. Esau threatens to kill him, and Esau uh, uh, threatening to kill him makes Jacob want to run away. And so he leaves literally just a staff in his hand and the clothes in his back. And we find this story in Genesis 28, where he falls asleep as he's running and thinking he's going to take refuge with his uncle Laban, uh, who lives a uh, far distance away and might protect him. And what happens? while well, he's sleeping. He sees nothing it's a barren desert he doesn't know what's going to happen to him he falls asleep and God reveals to him that there is a ladder to heaven which angels ascend and descend and more than that God himself speaks to him and says I know you're worried you're going to be alone you don't know what's going to happen will I ever turn back I make a promise to you I will be with you I will protect you I will bring you back and the promises I made to your grandfather Abraham I'll continue to honor Go further, and you look into Judges and the great stories I used to love as a kid about how Gideon and, and his big trumpet and how 300 of his mighty band of men fight off a giant army of Midianites. How does that all start? Because God sends an angel and says to Gideon, this is what you need to do, and he goes and does it. Isaiah, uh, famously in the temple, is, is, is praying in Isaiah 6. And, and then he gets this vision where he sees angels around the throne of God, and they cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's why it is that we say that during the Eucharist, is that we use the language and the words of the angels who worship God. We find, well, it's not just the Old Testament. When we look further, we look to the story of Jesus' birth. How do we know the the birth is going to happen? Because the angel Gabriel visits the Virgin Mary and says that you'll conceive and you'll have a child. When Jesus is born, the heavenly angelly choir comes to the shepherds and proclaims that Jesus is born In Bethlehem, after Jesus is tempted in the desert, the angels come and minister to him. And uh, we're told that when Jesus is um, uh, raised, uh, what happens when the first disciples visit the tomb? Angels say, he's risen, he's not here. Get to the book of Revelation, it's just lousy with angels. There's angels here and angels here and angels everywhere, including St. Michael, in whose name uh, our, our, our feast is today. In other words, one of the things that should challenge us is that angels appear so often in Scripture and in the Christian tradition, I think one of the things that really encourages us to think is to say, maybe it's possible that the worldview that Western people tend to live with might actually be more limited than it should be. And the testimony of Scripture repeatedly saying these things is actually something that I hope makes us consider it's possible that as what Hamlet said in that famous play, that there may be more in heaven and earth than is dreamt of in our philosophy. Now, why is it so difficult for us, though? If the scriptures are there, and we find that so much of the world, like my friend's experience in talking to the Nigerian man with like, when other parts of the world are open to the supernatural, when other parts of uh, our ancestry and the church is open to it, how is it that we find it such a difficult time? You know, There's lots of different theories about how these things happen, but many sociologists have noticed that there was somehow a shift about 500 years ago that happened in the West, and it happened primarily in the West. Eventually, 500 years ago, it would have been almost unthinkable to be an atheist. There were some that existed, but almost everybody you talked to, they may be uh, Orthodox, or they may be Roman Catholic, or you may meet a Muslim person, or a Jewish person. They might have a very different religious faith than you, but one thing that would have held in common is that they lived in a world in which the assumption was, we live in a world in which there is supernatural power working among us, and everybody would have known it. 500 years later, go up to the uh, late 19th century, and what you will find is that a very significant portion of people no longer believe in that. And even people who do believe are always knowing in the back of my mind that ignoring this stuff and rejecting it is always a possibility that it never was. One of the biggest things that's changed over the years in our culture and over the centuries is that we have come to enjoy looking at the world in such a way that says, these are all things that I can control with my own hands and are easily explained by the scientific progress we've made. It protects us from the belief that there are forces outside of our control working in us and on us. And it protects us in all of these ways. And so for that reason, we have a really hard time believing there are things outside of us that we do not understand because it means that we may be in danger of being moved upon by things that in fact, we have no control over. And it all sounds so wonderful that we can have our lives and, and all we need to do is confront material things until you begin to realize that in this world, people have found that less and less satisfying. One of the most interesting sociological phenomenon with sociologists that people who study changes in culture are noticing is is that as our culture has become less religious, everybody, if you asked in the 1960s, people looking at these trends, they would have said, you know, God is dying. Religion is dying. It's on its way out. And in fact, you look at churches and you see decline in attendance and you see it across denominations. You see Jewish people, synagogue attendance is dropping. We also find that with Muslims, when they come to our country, uh, although the attendance and, and importance of the mosque is deeply important throughout many Muslim nations, they come here and by another two or three generations, Their attendance in religious services is about the same as everybody else's. It's become more and more secular, yet here's what's really interesting. All of the suggestions that religion is coming to an end, that at the same time, spirituality has gone up through the roof. I just listened to an interesting uh, podcast the other day. Um, Tara Burton was her name. And she wrote uh, uh, an interesting article in the American Interest Magazine called The Rise of, um, uh, what is it called, Uh, the Occult Left. What she was looking at that is she's saying it's an interesting phenomenon that while at the same time religion is going down, we're actually seeing movements that everybody used to think was nuts growing. And what she was specifically looking at is the movement of witchcraft. She said if you've ever f- follow on Instagram or you look on social media, you'll notice how often it is that you'll get people saying, "Oh, like I'm looking forward to this festival or looking forward to that. And one of the things she drew attention to, which was really interesting, was you may remember, I think it was last year, there was a giant brouhaha about how a Supreme Court nominee to the United States uh, Supreme Court was being challenged because some accusations were made. And I, I don't want to get into the substance of that, but here's what was really interesting. CNN, large uh, news organizations reported that witches in the United States had all agreed to put a hex on this guy so that he wouldn't make it into the Supreme Court. And you think to yourself, okay, that is weird. You tend to you, you think as a person who, who, who lives in the Western culture, well, that's something maybe happens out there. Maybe it happened in the 16th century. but in fact, those sorts of things and belief in those sorts of things is increasing. Uh, One of the things she mentioned, and I've read many other times, is that when you do polling results, you find that today, more than 30 or 40 years ago, more people believe in astrology, more people believe in ghosts, more people believe in UFOs, more people believe in angels and demons, more people believe in so many of these things that many people of my generation and older think, I thought that was in the past and it's superstition. Now, why am I saying all of those things? I'm saying all of those things not to be condescending towards them just like I think it's really a great danger for condescending towards the Nigerian bartender who I knew. He's not a stupid guy. The guy's studying for a PhD in engineering. I couldn't do that. The guy's obviously good at math, obviously accepts scientific reality, and yet sees another reality beyond what Western people are capable of seeing. I think in many ways that we are letting down the current generation of young people who long to believe that there is something beyond them fighting for them because they see so many forces in their life that are beyond them fighting against them. How many times have I spoken over the Jeremiah series that I did over the past few weeks about how principalities and powers in this world seem to beat us down? You know, I look at the number of young people who accrue tremendous student debt. They go to university because that's what you need to do in order to get a job and they get out and nobody wants to hire them and they've got crippling debt hanging over them, a whole system fighting against them. Where's the hope? Or they find themselves, their family structures have fallen apart, and I've got nobody in my corner. Or you find that traditional religion many times, the institutions have disappointed them because of abuse or because of who knows what things that the church has done or other religious institutions have done that have failed us. And so what do they feel? They feel alone in this world, battered about by forces beyond their control, no real hope that so often the church should, should be giving them, which is to say there are also forces greater than these that are fighting for you. We look at the supernatural reality the Bible talks about, and I think even if we have a hard time swallowing it all, I think it's a challenge for us to say at least open your mind to the possibility that what we see in this world is not all there is, and that it isn't always something that's easily explainable within the mindset of the Western world. To take a page with humility and remember the errors that colonialism made when it came to civilizing all the nations and realizing, in fact, we have so much to learn from them. And that is a wrong task. Realize also that we have a thing to learn from our African Christians, our, our, our Asian Christians, Indian Christians, people throughout South America and Latin American Christians who are willing and able and, in fact, enthusiastic about proclaiming that there is a supernatural reality, that there are angels in this world working for us can do that without losing all sense and losing all rationality. I think when we do that, it also taps into the deep longing that young people have today of believing that there's more in this world than what we can see. Here's the other thing. I said the first thing is the challenge for us to accept the reality of supernatural reality and the supernatural beings in this world that the scriptures tell us about. I also think we need an encouragement to say that it's not as scary as we sometimes think it is. I have a bit of a weakness that I have to admit is that I particularly like supernatural horror movies. <laughs> I don't like the guy comes out with a chainsaw and chops everybody up movies. I'm not into the gore thing, but especially the kind of slow burn supernatural ones where there's some dark force working that eventually shows itself. I just burned through a series on Netflix called Marianne. If you've seen that one, it comes from France and it is super scary. <laughs> Uh I watched Hereditary, which is also a deeply disturbing movie, uh, and uh, in a good way, because it could be scared, but it also, one of the things that's really interesting, and I think it started with The Exorcist that came out, I think, in the 60s or 70s, Was a grappling with the reality that there are dark things out there that we don't always understand. But here's the problem. We look at that and we sort of think, ah, oh, man, am I going to start believing in fairies and in gnomes after this? If I open myself up, where is it going to go? Or maybe you're going to start saying to yourself, well, if I do that, then, oh, lo, the the devil's looking behind every bush. Sometimes we hear that in Christian uh, congregations where something goes wrong and it's not, oh, I stole money out of the register. It's, oh, the devil made me do it, like Flip Wilson used to say, right? You sort of take out human agency and you sort of have this idea that there's some big battle going on and we're all just passive recipients of it all. I think what challenges this worldview and what should give us encouragements that we're not scared to accept supernatural reality is the way that scripture presents these supernatural beings and supernatural reality. What happens when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 1, which we heard in our gospel lesson today? Jesus is explicitly referring back to the Jacob episode of Jacob's Ladder we heard in Genesis 28. Jesus, after speaking with Nathanael, he says this in the last uh, verse of chapter 1 in John's gospel, uh, verse 51. Jesus said to Nathanael, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Just like Jacob said, there was a ladder and angels ascending and descending. And Jesus says, you know where they're descending and ascending? On me, the Son of Man. What does that tell us? It tells us that it isn't sort of like a free-for-all with angels or parachuting like it's a D-Day invasion. You know what it says? It says that supernatural realities are rooted through Jesus Christ, who loves us and who is Lord over all those things. You know, when we think about the reality of supernatural stuff working in and around and through us, one of the things that scares us is that these are forces beyond our control. But what should give us more encouragement is these are not forces beyond Jesus' control. Who is it that says, I am your Lord and protector? Who is it that says that I've won a victory for you? Who is it that said to Jacob, I will never leave you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you through all these difficult things. And who is it that we celebrate an ascension as, uh, as seated at the right hand of the Father enthroned in splendor? It's Jesus, the same one who on that cross died for us because he loves us so dearly. The same one who says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What does Jesus say? I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The one whose rod and staff protect us in the darkest, scariest valleys where we, like sheep, just kind of shake back and forth because I'm frightened. We don't have to be. We've got the shepherd standing next to us. Those things in Scripture we often skip over uh, are deeply important. Jesus comes to a man who is abandoned by society, a man who is out in the tombs and the catacombs, who uh, cuts himself, who's got chains because everybody ch- uh, ex- ostracizes him and hates him, who doesn't want to go near him and Jesus with no sweat whatsoever, casts out the demons who have unsettled his mind and driven him into the wilderness and caused him to be uh, ostracized, casts them out and he sits in his right man- hand or right mind and Jesus says, now uh, you know, just go off and tell everybody what I did for you. Jesus has the power over all that is dark in this world. We don't need to be afraid about acknowledging that reality because we know that the person who is king of that reality is our Lord and Savior and loves us and promises never to be without it. In fact, so much so that Jesus at Pentecost says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and in fact, I will live inside you. Paul talks about us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the church as a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with us and he will not leave us and we don't need to be afraid. So when you're confused about supernatural things, your salvation doesn't depend on it. You have a hard time swallowing it. it. doesn't mean God will cast you out of his kingdom. When we're confused and you're not sure what to do, what do you do is what you always do. Jesus I'm not really sure. I'm a little bit scared. I don't know what to make of this, but if it's important, let me see things through your eyes. But most of all, let me know that you are with me because when you are near, O oh Lord, I don't need to be afraid. Jesus is our mighty Savior. Jesus bears the sword so that we don't have to. And Jesus is someone who promises us that nothing in heaven and earth will separate us from the love of God. Hold on to it. Even when the supernatural scares you or confuses you, hold on to it because you know that whatever supernatural exists in this world and beyond this world, there's something even greater. The supernatural power of God the supernatural power of his grace, and the supernatural power of his love.